This morning is different. This morning is different. As we look to Christmas, we are starting a new series, uh, Christmas Perspectives. We're going to be looking at different people, not just characters. You know, sometimes we think about uh, the birth of Jesus Christ and we think of it like a story. And not just that it happened, but we think of it as some kind of fairy tale. And all these characters, we take away their humanity and we say, oh, you know, that's just, that's just Mary, that's just Joseph, that's just, you know, that, that part that they play in the story. They were people. They were real people like you and me. And they went through real experiences. And so we're going to be taking a look at uh, five different uh, groups of people and individuals uh, who experience Christmas and looking at uh, what their perspective of Christ's birth was. So this first week we'll be looking at Mary. Next week we'll be looking at Joseph, then the shepherds, then Herod, and then us. All right, so uh, this morning as we begin this series, we'll turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And we'll be reading verses 46 through 55. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46. We'll read it, and then we will pray, and then we will study it together. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty-handed. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God, we do give you the praise this morning for your word. Even as we read it, we are immediately moved by it through your Holy Spirit. We see just the beauty of Mary's words. Lord, I pray that you would help us to look past the beauty of it and see the meaning of these words this morning, that we would understand uh, Mary's perspective, that it is that of worship, and that we should have that perspective as well. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us now as we study this passage together. Bless us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As I said, uh, we're looking at perspectives, different perspectives. Now, the thing about perspectives is that everyone has one, right? Everyone has a point of view. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, a crime scene. All right, something goes wrong, and a, a crime is done, and there are witnesses, right? Uh, investigators come in, whether it's the police or someone else, and they come in, and what do they do? Well, they interview, right? Interview everyone who is around. Because everyone has a different perspective. They put those pieces together to see what actually happened or to try to ascertain what occurred at this, uh, this crime scene. That's us this morning. Uh, 
It's not a crime scene, but we're looking at the birth of Jesus Christ. And over, like I said, the next five weeks, uh, we'll be looking at what, what those perspectives are, those individuals who were involved. Let's get their point of view so we can see what Christmas is really about. And yes, uh, as a church, we, we understand, even if we ask our kids, well, what's, what's the reason for the season? It might give us the answer, but we can go deeper than that. So let, let's look at those perspectives over these next few weeks. Let's in, uh, interview these people and see what they have to say about what occurred. For Mary, uh, she is the first one here. The thing that we need to understand about Mary is she's a no one. Today, we look at Mary and we talk about her. And uh, when you thought, uh, think about uh, women of faith in the Bible, she's one of the first that you think of. Right? Uh, some people today even even worship Mary. Uh, she, she is a, a big part of Roman Catholicism. Uh, the idea, we'll talk later about her being born uh, without a sin nature. We'll talk about that. All right. There, there are misconceptions uh, about who she is, but the things that we have in the Bible are very clear. She's no one special. She is a random girl. Uh, she is a girl betrothed to a man. All right. Uh, most likely when this would occur was she was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14. So as a safe uh, way to say it, she's, she's barely a teenager, and she's betrothed to this man. He's not very important either. He's a carpenter. Uh, today, carpentry is a, is a good business. You can make some good money doing that. But if you think back in time, and you understand, well, it wasn't so easy to work with steel. All right? uh, you didn't have uh, uh, all the machinery that you have now. Everybody was a carpenter back then. This was not some, uh, you know, I, I own my own little business. This was one of the most uh, well-known, common uh, work that you could have back in this time. So Joseph, he's no one special either. So we have a girl, you know, 13 years old. She's engaged to just a, a common worker. And she's located in a common place. She's located in Israel. At this time, Israel wasn't a special place. All right, it was just another nation that was ruled by the Roman Empire. Like many others. So we have a nobody from nowhere betrothed to another nobody. That's Mary. But there's, you know, that's, that's us looking at her uh, through worldly glasses of us looking at how we would view someone uh, even today. What do you do? Uh, where are you from? Those kinds of questions that we ask people. All right? But there's something deeper that is going on with Mary. And there's something deeper that God sees, and he's going to use this little girl to change everything. To be uh, someone that uh, would give birth to the Savior. The one whom they had been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of years. He's going to use this no one. So as we look at this, this is known as Mary's Magnificat. What that means is magnification. It's worship. Uh, essentially, it's her worship song. 
she, she hears the news. Gabriel shows up and says, you are going to have a child. She says, how can this be? I am a virgin. Uh, I have not known my husband. And he says, that doesn't matter. You will, be, uh, you will have a son. It will be from the Holy Spirit. And she goes. You know, from that experience, she goes and she visits her cousin. Right? She visits Elizabeth. I want to read verses 39 through 45. This is the immediate context of our passage this morning. So we need to understand what's happening uh, for her to result in having this worship song. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town, to, uh, to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah. All right, let's stop there. Who's Zechariah? Well, we know earlier from the passage, all right, that's the father of John the Baptist. He was a priest. He was a somebody. All right? uh, he, he knew the Old Testament. He taught the Old Testament. And when he was told by the same angel that he was going to have a son, even though he was in, uh, an old man at this point, he doesn't believe. The guy who should believe you know, Mary's a no one. Zachariah is a somebody. He, he's, he's a preacher. He's a priest. And yet he does not believe God. And God shuts his mouth, right? Uh, joking that that could have been a great thing for his wife the other day. <laughs> of him getting his mouth shut. But that that's Zechariah. This is... Um, Zechariah, and he, she greets, this is Mary, greets Elizabeth, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing thing. All right, uh, like we don't have the descent of the Holy Spirit until Acts chapter 2. All right, so here, uh, this is something completely different. This is special. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she gives a prophecy. She, she says, uh, she exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, and the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth prophesized. Uh, there are two different things with the prophecy. It has the idea of foretelling. That's probably what we most will uh, associate with the idea of prophecy. We look at like the book of Revelation as prophecy, and that's a future thing. All right, but there is also, in the idea of prophecy, is foretelling. All right, it is proclaiming God's truth. So here for Elizabeth, she does both. She proclaims God's truth, and she also gives a little bit of foretelling. She says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She's blessed. Why is she blessed? Elizabeth gives us the answer. Blessed is she who believed. Mary believed. When Zechariah didn't, when someone who should have believed didn't, the girl who had everything against her, Believed. This shows that striking comparison between the two. But why did she believe? What did she believe? Well, 
Well, she believed what the angel told her. She'll conceive a son. He will be the Son of God. And he will be the Messiah. And she believed that. And this isn't just some, okay, I acknowledge that that was said to me. This is holding on to, letting those words soak into her heart. She took hold of these truths. She believed it. She, she was all about it. And because of that, she results in this way. She sings this worship song. Mary's response to this is not pride. She could have been. Blessed are, am I above women. Right? And all, like, I'm, I'm the best. God picked me. Look how special I am. She doesn't do that. She worships God. She gives beautiful words. Uh, they're similar to the Psalms. Uh, they're used to praise the Lord. This is called Mary's Magnificat, like I said, which means magnification. It's a girl's worship song for what God has done and is going to do in her life. So if you look on the back of your bulletins, you'll see Mary's perspective of Christ's birth is worship. It's number one on there, and you can even fill out, Zechariah should have known better, but did not believe. And Mary is just a random girl who did believe. Zechariah did not believe, and Mary did believe. And Mary's perspective of Christ's birth is worship. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnify, to make big. All right, some of us need glasses to do that. Uh, when we look at words, we need to make them bigger so that we can see them. The idea here is that the soul is making God big. Not that he needs to be made bigger, all right? but that in our soul, that's what happens. He becomes more important in our soul. That he is a bigger part of our lives. He's, she's making God big because of what she's done for her. She says, my spirit rejoices. Now let's stop for a minute and imagine what Mary is going through in this time period. Right? We can't just take this story out of its time context and say, all right, well, Mary's just everything is hunky-dory for her. Imagine the hardships that Mary is going to have to go through. When she comes around her friends, when the, the, the baby bump comes, it should be a joyful time. She doesn't get to be joyful, or at least uh, in the worldly sense, uh, she, um, people looking at her would ridicule her, they would slander her. She would say, you know, the truth that this baby is from the Lord. Can you imagine what people would say about her? Yeah, right. Okay. Did you hear about Mary? Right? That, that's what people would do. And imagine the, the hurt that would have for a girl. Even today, that, that's extremely painful for someone to start rumors and uh, talk about you in that way, for your reputation to be slandered. But back then, it was even more. That was your life. And when I say that, I mean it literally. You could have been killed. That's what Mary is going to have to go through. She's going to have to go through pain. Probably all throughout her life. 
this is not just going to be with her until the baby's born. Everyone's going to see the cute baby and smile and say, oh, yeah, it's a good thing. No, this is going to be something that sticks with her in her immediate time. But she's looking past that. She's looking through past those current struggles that she's going to go through. She says, my spirit rejoices. My spirit rejoices. She's happy. She's joyful. It means abundantly glad, despite her circumstances, because she believes. Well, believes in who? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In God, my Savior. This is a phrase that every Israelite knows. It's ingrained in their DNA. As they grow up, it's the words of David, the words of Samuel, Isaiah, and the prophets, God, my Savior. This is not only uh, referring to the Old Testament, God saved them over and over and over again. We see that throughout the Old Testament, um, You know, whether it's getting the Israelites out of Egypt, taking them out, God saving them, uh, whether it's when they're at the Red Sea, and there's no way out, and Pharaoh is closing in on them. God makes that way of escape through the, uh, the sea. God saves them. You know, you look at Sennacherib, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, and even this morning with the kids. God saved them over and over and over again. God saved them. But it's also personal. God, my Savior. It's hers. God is hers. Mary knew her sin. Yes, I said sin. Something our Roman Catholic friends don't quite understand. This verse and the entirety of this passage goes against what Catholics call immaculate conception. Uh, You might have heard that phrase, and a lot of people when they hear that phrase, they just think, oh, that's just talking about how Jesus was born sinless. It's part of it. But they also... If you hold to that tradition and you go with them 100%, uh, they also believe that Mary was born without a sin nature. That's immaculate conception. Well, this verse flies in the face of that. God, my Savior. Why would she need a Savior if she's perfect? If she's sinless? Right? I I don't need someone to save me unless I'm in trouble. God, my Savior. This idea of immaculate conception, this is a new idea. It was only defined in 1854 as Mary not having that sin nature. Uh, And that's at her conception. That's what they believe. And that's why they believe that she is a co-redeemer with Christ. But that's not true. She knew her sin and understood she needed to be rescued from it. Who can do that? Who can save her? Only God could be her personal Savior. She understands that. When Gabriel said that Jesus would save his people from their sins, that included her. So she uh, worships God for this general statement of God being her Savior. But then she goes into detail. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has done stuff. He's done things. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Uh, Mary, like I said, is just a random girl. There wasn't anything special about her. No reason for anyone to notice her. Uh, But God did. He looked 
at her. Now, look doesn't just mean to see. Like when I look out and I see you guys, uh, we, we use that as look. Uh, but it's more than that. You know, my wife, uh, she, she's on Facebook and she loves those memes, different pictures with jokes on them, right? And she shows me a whole bunch of them. Uh, like when we're sitting on the couch watching TV or something, uh, she'll be like, look at this scene, look at this scene, look at this scene. And eventually I go, yeah, okay. I'm not, I'm not reading, right? I looked at them and then she's like, wasn't that funny? Uh, oh, I actually have to read it now, <laughs> right? Right? I, I saw it, but I didn't really take notice of it. It didn't grab my attention. This idea here of God looking at Mary is that she grabs his attention. He notices her. He pays special attention to her. God doesn't just see uh, Mary. He looked at her. This word means that he took special attention. That's in your notes. Special attention or notice about something with Mary. He's paying attention to her. It's, it's a lot like Hagar out in the desert. When she, when she is about to die, she's been sent out by Sarah, and she cries out for help. No one's there. But then God shows up. What does she call God? What is the name that she gives him? The God who sees me. The God who sees me. That's what Mary is experiencing saw her. He paid special notice to her, even in her humble estate. God can see that her position in life is not extraordinary. She's a small girl engaged to a common worker living in a country that holds no power in the world. By all accounts, nobody. But God sees her and pays special attention to her despite those humble conditions. Why? He says, or she says, uh, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. His servant. She might not have been special, but she served God. She might not have been special, but she served someone who is. She was not one of the Israelites who ignored God. Remember, this, this story of the, of the birth of Christ is coming out of nowhere. 400 years, God has been silent to his, to his people. Hasn't spoken to them in so long. Now, boom! Here's the thing you've been waiting for for thousands of years. But a lot of people didn't believe. A lot of people didn't believe. Because they weren't serving God. They had been ruled by Rome. And they had gotten into the idea of serving them, of trying to better their own place in uh, the Roman Empire. But Mary served God. She followed the law as best as she could and trusted in God. Though she wasn't perfect, she did serve him. And that's why God is going to take Mary from such a lowly position in the world and make her a somebody. He says, from, or she says, from now on, all generations, every generation will call her blessed. She looks to the future. 
despite her current struggles, despite her current circumstances. She looks to the future and says, God has promised me this. I'm going to believe Him. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to persevere. And I will serve Him. And call me blessed. Uh, this is not... Some people have confused this as some type of idea of worshiping or honoring Mary. But it's not talking about other people. All right, that every generation will call me blessed, like they will uh, call her that. All right, like they will give her the honor for it. No, it's that they will recognize that God has given her a blessing. God is the one who is to be blessed, not Mary. All right, uh, that God is the one to be worshiped because. He blessed Mary. God gave Mary an honor she did not deserve, but simply because of his sovereign will. I picked this random note. And again, let's remember that in the context here, no one else was calling her blessed, they were calling her other names. Jesus was not born in a vacuum. He was born in a time and place. And in the context Mary and Joseph found themselves in, the scandal would just be all over town. Everyone would be talking about uh, the sin of Mary. We'll, We'll talk about that even more next week when we look at Joseph. But this is a great example for us, despite what we may be going through. Right now, Think about what God can do in His timing. In His timing. Trust in God to take the current struggles you are experiencing and do something incredible. That's what Mary is really going through. Those hard circumstances right then, God is going to do a miracle through them. So that later on, people will be able to recognize what God did in Mary's life and through Mary for the world. That could be us. That could be us. People could talk about the the current struggles that we went through right now. And if we persevere, perhaps they will look at us in time and say, yes. Look at what she did for the Lord. Because she loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. Uh, We we see that uh, with even our own elderly. You can look at their lives and say, wow, look what they did. Look how they persevered, like Brother Paul. Look how he persevered in the faith. He's an example to us. Mary is that example for the whole world. For he who is mighty, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. She she brings it home. This is what... This is what God has done in me. He is mighty. He is strong. And He has done uh, great things. This idea of great is not just, oh, this, that's good. We say that all the time when someone gives us uh, maybe uh, good news. You say, that's great. And even though you're not thinking about it ten seconds later, you use that word. Right? This idea of great is surprising. It's a surprising, amazing thing that has been done. It's a great thing. For her to be pregnant without having known a man, that is a miracle. That is an amazing and great thing. 
And she recognized that God does this for me. God has done the impossible in Mary's life for Mary's good. And holy is his name. God is infinitely other than us. He is holy. Uh, This is directly taken from Psalm 103. The idea of mercy is speaking of the general idea of salvation. That's what he goes on to say, or she goes on to say. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. This idea of salvation. Salvation is offered to those who fear him. Now, what does it mean to fear him? Well, it's reverence, it's respect, mixed with terror, mixed with love. Right, uh, I was telling the guys yesterday, uh, you know, I was, as a kid, I was scared of my dad a little bit. Right? I love my dad. Uh, he taught me many things. He took care of me. But there was still a little bit of fear, right? Because he was also the discipline guy. He was, he was the guy with the belt. Right? You, you feared your dad a little bit, even though you loved him, even though you respected him. That That's kind of infinitely more than just your dad, but that's the kind of uh, respect that we should have for God. There should be a little bit of terror in there because he is that same God of the Old Testament. He is that same God who said, don't touch the ark, and as soon as someone did, dead. That's our God. He can do amazing, great things, but we should give him the respect that he deserves, and Mary does. For those who fear him, there will be mercy. There's this dichotomy of of Mary's thinking here, of this idea of those of humble estate, those who feared God, who worshiped God, and the rich and the prideful. Who do you think she's talking about? It's going to carry on with the theme of all of the Gospels. Who were uh, Jesus' biggest opponents? It wasn't the sinners. Right, the, uh, the ones who were known for sinning it was the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the ones who said that they had it all together and that they obeyed the law. Those were the ones who rejected Jesus Christ. Those were the ones who will not get the mercy prideful. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has scattered the proud. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that Mary was thinking of, of people like uh, Pharaoh hardening his heart, uh, Sennacherib, the things that he said to God, the, the mockery, all of that. She's thinking of those, and where are they now? Where are they now? They're gone. He scattered them. Because God is more powerful than them. She's looking at her current estate and looking at how people were treating her, probably the Pharisees treating her. What is going to happen to them? Are they around anymore? No. He will scatter them. Uh, She says that God does not... um, that he has his own strength, but he also doesn't just have it. He shows it off. Uh, this is number three in your notes. God does not just possess power or strength. He has shown it. We'll be coming to a close here in just a, a minute. 
But uh, I'm reminded of, uh, in high school, I played basketball. I was the, the captain of our basketball team. Uh, back in the day, I was pretty good. Right? But uh, there, was, there was a guy my senior year who uh, wanted to take my spot. Uh, his name was Chase. He was always saying he was better and, uh, you know, he, he was a much showier player. He was faster than I was, that's for sure. Right? But he kept on saying, I'm better, I'm better, I'm better. Until one day I just said, prove it. He wasn't able to do that. God is not like that. He doesn't just say, I'm powerful, I'm powerful, I'm powerful. But he shows it. He proves that he's powerful. Look at the Old Testament. For Mary, she could even look at her own life. She was pregnant. By this time, when she goes and visits, there's a bump. She can see that she's pregnant. She can know, I didn't have sex with Joseph. She could see the power of God. God does not just possess power and strength. He has shown it. He has brought down the mighty. All those rulers around the world. God is the one who is in charge over them. He can take them in. He can build them up. And He can take them down. He exalts those of humble estate. We see that all over the Old Testament. I mean, whether it's uh, Saul coming from no one, right? All that he had going for him was that he was good looking. Next thing you know, he's the king. David, not good looking, right? He, he was the little shepherd boy that dad even said, oh, he's not worth the time. Look at my other sons. They're, they're the ones who should be king. Bring him in. He exalts him. He's going to exalt Mary. He has filled the hungry with good things. He's taking care of his people, even in the darkest time. Look at the book of Lamentations. God takes care of his people. And the wretch he has sent away empty. Those who were prideful, who relied on their own power, he sent them away in judgment. While giving the humble and trusting what they needed. He has helped his servant Israel. Help them. Mary closes her worship song with giving a clear and beautiful statement about God's faithfulness. He has helped Israel. He has assisted them throughout their difficult history, always protecting them, always sustaining them. Why? In remembrance of his mercy. Just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, his promise. God promised. So he sustains them. So he helps them. We need to remember that God owed Israel a redeemer. Not because of anything Israel did, but simply because God promised them. When you look at Abraham, the reason why she says Abraham is because that's where it all began. He gets the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. What does is, what is God promise? Unconditionally, by the way. What does he promise? A nation going to have a son. You will have uh, descendants. Look up at the stars. That's how many uh, descendants you're going to have. You're going to have a nation. You're going to have land. And you're going to be a blessing to the world. How would they be a blessing? Sure, there are many good things that Israel has done for the world. Look at Advil. Right? Many good things. But more than that, of course, the birth of Jesus Christ. 
over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, you see prophecy after prophecy. There would be a Redeemer. There would be a Redeemer. Someone who would come and save His people. Mary knew that promise. She trusted in it. She trusted God's faithfulness. She looks at His track record and says, yes. He is not just saying He is powerful. He has shown it. He will do it. Mary's perspective on Christmas is that of worship. Despite what people thought of her, what they were saying, despite the difficult situation she was going through, she saw God's past faithfulness and saw uh, saw Him doing something incredible in her own life. She trusted in God to carry through, uh, to carry her through and to be faithful to His promise to her. She had a choice. She had a choice like we all do. What is our response going to be? When we get into our difficult situations, are we going to trust God? Are we going to let these circumstances overwhelm us? She trusts in God. She chose to trust in God. And she sings this beautiful worship song to the Lord. We too have that choice in difficult times, even as we prepare for Christmas. So the question then remains, what will we do? What will our perspective be? Mary's was worship. What is ours? Let's pray. God, I thank you for Mary. Lord, I too can realize that she is blessed. Lord, we know that's nothing of herself. There is, wasn't anything more special than uh, about her than any other girl in Israel who was serving you, and there were many. But you sovereignly chose her as an instrument of your will. You chose to give her a blessing, and we recognize that. God, and the result for her is worship. She gives you the glory. She gives you the praise. She sings about your faithfulness, both in times past and even in her own life. Lord, let us be the same. When those around us are ridiculing us, when it is difficult to live out our faith, to say that this is something that God has called me to do. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to make that choice in our perspective of worshiping you, of choosing to trust in you because of your past record, of continual steadfastness, of faithfulness. And we can believe. Lord, that's why Mary is called blessed, because she believed. I pray that that would be the same for us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Whether that's at home, at our workplace, wherever we find ourselves even today, going out for lunch at a restaurant, help us to be faithful in each of these circumstances. Help us to believe and to trust in you, just as Mary did. 
We ask this in the name of her son, the one redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray.